Disruptive CEO Nation is the place where young entrepreneurs and company founders tell it like it is when it comes to their journey, vision, technology, culture, and whatever they feel like. Your host, Allison K. Summers, believes how you choose to play the world is completely up to you, and her guests prove it. Now let's get disruptive. Hi, everyone. This is Allison Kay, and welcome to this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. A lot of times we speak with our company founders or our industry influencers, and today we have a great story for you of an organization that was listening to the market signals and focused on a very successful business platform and how to infuse it with technology and really be prepared for the future. So without further ado, um, it is my absolute pleasure, pleasure to introduce you to Andreas Lares, who um, is a world traveler born in Venezuela, lived in Canada, lives in the U.S., um, who's going to tell us about how they've delivered products and services all over Europe, South America, North America. So, Andreas, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. So I'm sure we've got everybody wondering what it is that you do. So tell us about the company that you're, that you're leading today and about what you do in the market. Yeah, so we, the Shapiro Negotiation Institute, is a company that was founded in 1995, based in Baltimore. And uh, we are, at birth, we were sort of a negotiation training company. So it's generally corporate training for organizations of all industries and uh, all sizes. And uh, over time, we've also developed sort of some sales and influencing content. So we are now today, we sit as a sales negotiation and influence training and consulting company. Yeah, and I love the fact that you have a whole section on influence and persuasion training and, and what you do. And I think in this world where we're all building, um, you know, making brand impressions, it's more, it's just not about the point of sale, but it's, it's about so many other things. Um, I think that's great stuff that you do. So, so tell us a little bit about how you recognize these market signals and, and some of the changes you've made and some of the things that you, that you want to do. Absolutely. So uh, the, you know, it's a, it's almost a, a good problem to have, but that the, the content, the, the product, the services, what we were offering were, were so good. I think to some degree, um, a few years ago, we started to realize they were almost hiding an area that we were just not quite as good at. And, and that is, I would say, sort of leveraging technology in every way. So leveraging technology for, from a revenue generation standpoint, for marketing purposes, we weren't doing that. Leveraging revenue, or le leveraging technology for revenue from a sales standpoint, sort of using a CRM system or using, um, sort of updating in that way. And then, and most importantly, from a content standpoint. So. Well, it's it's uh, the, the classroom experience that we provide still to this day is, is when we hear a client or we hear from our clients, excuse me, is was so good and is so good that it sort of hid that, and so we were getting clients in spite of not being thought leaders and sort of best in class in some of these other areas, and so we started to realize that, and it was a little bit painfully. Luckily, it was not quite that painful at the time, and got a little bit ahead of it, and, and so now. Uh, what excites me the most is we sit today in the opposite side of the spectrum where we have a lot of things. I hope I'm sure I'm, I'll be talking about some today, but exciting sort of based on technology projects that we have either completed or working on right now that puts us ahead of the curve, that puts us 
from what was once a weakness to a, a very significant strength, I would say. Is that specific enough? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, one of the things that, that peaked for me is I, I find, you know, you can't have a company if you can't do sales and you can't do this influencing, but, but training and no matter where you sit, you need your whole, anybody that works for you, particularly if you're an entrepreneur and you're, you're, you're in a startup mode or a, a 12 staff or a whatever that resources you have, you need everyone to know how to do sales and it's awkward to train. And I think one of the things that peaked for me is you've talked about, you know, as you said, being best in class in online training, but initiatives like virtual reality negotiation simulations. Um, and how do people respond to that as you're starting to bring that in more? Hey, well, it's, uh, it's, it's actually quite um, a polarizing response. I think we see some people, I mean, generally, most people are at least intrigued about the concept. And I think enough that they want to hear a little bit more about it but i think from a sort of uh, once they digest it, it one of it one of the sides of thinking is it's just not um you know if that won't work with our folks they're not technologically savvy enough or how would that even work and, and almost sort of you know push it away to some degree and then the other side of it is is intrigued enough they they, they get excited about it and i think once you delve into how how it works i think that's almost more important and more powerful than the simulation we have today. So essentially, just for a very quick overview, um, the, we're in the beta stages now, but we've got, if you put on a headset, and it could be any of the virtual reality headsets out there, whether you put your phone in or standalone, you put it on and, and you would be essentially going through a simulation uh, of a negotiation. In this case, the one we've set up as sort of the, the basis, just to do something that no one had likely could relate to on purpose is sort of outside of everyone's world that we're you're in a negotiation where you're purchasing a dry cleaner business. And what happens is you go through the simulation, but while you're responding to the person in the simulation, um, it is recording your from sort of audio recording of all your answers and also doing um, physiological recording because you're wearing a, a chest heart rate monitor. And so what we do is we grab all that data now with the use of artificial intelligence. And so we can coach to it. So we can listen to the responses and say, well, Allison, you know, I noticed that um, the things that we might coach to are you didn't ask a lot of questions. So you, you were doing most of the talking um, and we could talk about that or you could talk about some of the language they used or where you the agenda you set for the meeting or whatever we'd like to talk about. But then you can also use AI and say, we noticed that you're, for example, you were looking um, only 10 or 15 percent of the time where you're looking at the other person. Now, it might be something that only happens because you're in virtual reality. It might be something that, you know, generally best practices from a lot of studies say that about 60 to 70 percent of the time in North America is what you want to do. So that would just be a conversation point or that the speed at which you were speaking got much faster when potentially the other side asked you a, a tough question uh, or you use more hesitation words like um and uh and like when you were faced with a tough question. And so that can combine the sort of subjective coaching that we do now, and it comes from a lot of experience, so hopefully it's not completely subjective, but that combined with sort of the objective, this is what the artificial intelligence tells us. And um, so that's that's perhaps the one that we're most excited about at this point. And I, I think that is just amazing. And I would think that that takes some of the stress out of you know, the traditional stand at the front of the room and do your training and everybody watches and everybody critiques you. Um, I would much rather do it the way that you're describing 
Um, the so for our folks who are are listening, what would be some tips? Because you threw some in there that were very good to hear. If you were trying to do a sales pitch, what are some of the most common things that you tell people? Um, body language or or the way that react or listen to you. What what are some things you can share with us? So uh, this is sort of a perhaps the most practical piece of advice I think we provide folks. And and this seems so simple, but it, it's what we end up spending most of our consulting time with is is to sort of script out, even if it's in a very basic way, if you're preparing yourself for sort of a tougher conversation or situation. So what I mean by that is for a very complicated one, you might script out, you know, um, quite a bit of the meeting. But even if you're just a, whether you're in sales or you're in procurement or you're a lawyer or you're in marketing, I mean, we, we train people from across the world and every different job function. And in it's, it is really powerful for two reasons. Number one, one of the pieces you might want to include in the script is a few questions. And so that alone, the fact that you've got a few questions written down, that alone does two things. One is it makes you a little more likely to be asking questions versus talking the whole time, which generally is a best practice in negotiation. And that's not something just that we would say, but I think any good negotiation training company in the world would say that. So that's really powerful. And the second one is that can be when you're sort of under pressure, it can happen in a negotiation or an influence situation, then that can be your default. You've got a question that you can refer back to. And so that's almost your safeguard versus saying something you may regret or may regret or saying something that um, may not come out right or puts you in a bad position or you didn't mean to say. Instead, having sort of being on the quote unquote defensive but asking a question is, is a much more effective way to do that. So we, we call that sort of scripting. And that's probably one of the most sort of easy to put in place tips that I think we can give people. Makes complete sense. Absolute complete sense. And I even script sometimes before phone calls just so that you stay more organized. I, I think that is wonderful advice. So let's look and talk about your company culture. Uh, you can't do your company unless you, you have everybody with you embracing the same thing. So if we were to come uh, be a part of the team at Shapiro Negotiations Institute. What would you say is the culture? So I guess part of it is I would describe with with um, the office setup. So I think it's it's a good sort of signal or indication. So we it was we've actually, and we recently moved. We moved about a year a year ago or so. Um, but the move wasn't much. We went from the fourth floor of a building to the second floor of a building. But we we moved into an even more sort of open office space. And so I think um, that collaborative approach is what we were sort of striving for. And I think we've been very pleased that I think we've always had that, but the the move is even sort of further solidified that because I think even in the process, we, we took some time to think about, you know, what is our culture? And so what would be an office that would best suit it? And looked all over the city when we were looking around and, and ended up here. And I think um, we just felt like sort of the the, the company culture was, very much in line with what this this place is like. So, you know, to give you the the ten second paint, um, you know, paint a picture in your mind. It's a uh, it was actually designed by architects that were in here before us. So that's always nice when architects design it for you beforehand. <laughs> um, but it's you know very modern with like large stainless steel doors, sliding sort of barn style doors for the conference room, and completely open. I mean, there's there's desk spaces throughout, but it is a complete open office and a ton of light, both natural and um, lights we've got. So I think that's almost the company culture. It's um, it's a very positive, ton of light in here, very open, a lot of communication. And um, 
I think that's sort of how I would describe, you know, a day in the life for us as far as company culture. Fantastic. So we like to share with our listeners some stories of pain points or lessons learned because we all know coming up in, in business or what we're all facing on a day-to-day basis, there's there's just some things that we as a leader or, you know, as a company maybe weren't perfect. Do you have a story that you could share with our listeners? I, I absolutely do. And I think this is one that the the sort of situation itself, lucky, wasn't too costly. Um, but I think the lesson has stuck with me for a long time. So I mentioned how years ago, it's probably about four years ago, we started going much more into sort of using technology and started off with from a marketing and sales perspective. And so at the time I was managing our marketing and I had done a strong push to get into online marketing. And, and for the most part, a lot of it was working. And there was a very significant return on investments. We were spending more and more and expanding what different areas we were going into. And I had all along thought, and and to this day, I still think that you know LinkedIn would be a very valuable platform for us. So it's a professional platform. It's used very much sort of from the B2B perspective. Um, there's just a lot of reasons that I thought our our market would be there and to be more professional sort of approach on Facebook. So there are a lot of reasons that I thought it'd be very successful. So we we put some money into it and I spent a lot of time trying to to get that off the ground and we ran a campaign and it completely flopped. And so I then, uh, but I, I, you know, as far as logically and everything that I had experienced and seen and read about the platform and used it myself made me think, well, that can't be. So we ran another campaign that still flopped. I thought, well, it must be me. So, you know, I wasn't proud enough to think, I haven't done that much work in LinkedIn. It must be, must be me. I'm just not running a proper campaign. So I actually uh, hired an agency to help us run another campaign. And this time said, look, here are our numbers and we'll pay double your rate as far as the services, so not the cost of the advertising, but we'll pay double your rate if you're able to perform better than this because it's not very good. But we won't pay you at all. We agreed to that if you can't at least achieve these results, which were not good enough for us to continue. And they were not even able to achieve the the already pretty miserably uh, low results that we had. And so I think back then, um, I learned pretty quickly. That was sort of like, maybe it was in the back of my mind, but I realized that from an online perspective, I think one of the beauties of of the the fact that we can now track everything in, from an online versus sort of like a you know um, mailing things and more of the old school fashion, it doesn't really matter what I think. So I was I thought and was very confident <laughs> that it would work, but essentially that really had no impact, right? The beauty is you can test it, and after A/B testing and trying out a bunch of different ways, you realize it didn't. And so there's a lot of you know I can still ask this day why didn't it and, and all that, but I think. A lesson learned for me was it just doesn't matter what I think. That's, you know, that the proof is in the pudding. And with online marketing, you can track everything. And it's just about the results. And so that's stuck with me to this day. And so, you know, I, I, I pass it on to any time we're going to try something that is trackable. Then I say, okay, well, let's if we're going to give it a try, let's let the market dictate it versus just assuming and, and being too confident on, you know, on those assumptions. I think I appreciate you sharing that. And there's some good words of wisdom in there. What, if we come back and talk to you again in two, three, five years, what would you like to say we're going to find in your organization? Um, any new initiatives? You're, you've, like you said, you've, you think you've been, you know, delivered products in 30 countries. Is it, is it global domination? <laughs> what, what is it that we can expect from you in the future? 
I mean, a, a three-year goal of global domination sounds really quite nice to me. So I'd, I'd love to do that and say that. But I think um, I think it's actually around this sort of technology innovation. I think before we sort of had an excuse, we didn't really do it. And so when we didn't do it, it was easy to fail, right? There was an excuse. Well, we just haven't done it. And so it almost made it easier. Um, now that we're, we're investing quite a bit of time, and I personally, it's, it's one of the areas I spent the most amount of time in from my day-to-day place. I just think it's it's setting us up. I think you sort of put yourself out there to be vulnerable in the sense that if it flops miserably, then you flopped, right? Then, you know, we made a mistake in either execution or in the ideas. And so I think two or three years from now, I hope, you know, some of them have already been quite successful. So I, I don't think we're the wrong way, but hopefully, you know, two or three years from now, I'm heeding my own advice of it's less what I think and more what the market dictates. And, um, and I think, and those are all everything we have in place now is more successful than it is today and we're still coming up with new ideas i just think that's what drives me is to come up with some of these and push the envelope and so i'm hoping that um, we would be even more known for some of our unique ideas such as the virtual reality simulation or some of the other things we're doing with technology to to be able to scale and um so that's is that a reasonable hope i, that I global think domination sounds good too good good things all very good thoughts I am sure that a lot of our listeners could use a great organization like yours. So can you tell us how they can connect to you, how they can find your company, where they should go? So, yeah, so the, I guess the best place to at least do a little bit of, uh, you know, data gathering to see if we might be a fit would be to go on our website. So it's www.shapironegotiations with an S at the end.com. And from there, we certainly could reach out to me as well personally. So, um, my email is uh, my last name, L-A-R-E-S, at S-N-I-Team.com. But if they go on the website, there's plenty of places they can contact us, but that way they can sort of just read about us. And and if, um, if they ever saw fit, then we would be excited to work with any of your listeners. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your time. And all I'm sitting here thinking is, is, I, I think I need to go through your courses. I think you, you, you're making me self-reflect. Am I, are my skills as sharp as they need to be? So I'm really grateful that you took time for us today. Um, if you're a listener, please share this with somebody else who you think needs to hear the message that Andreas had or learn more about their organization. And until then, keep your eye on the future. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Andreas. Thank you. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>